Welcome to the Grazing Podcast for Robertson Sheetham Farmers Co-op. My name is Clint, and I will be your host as we record live from our beautiful Springfield, Tennessee location inside our podcast studio. Robertson Cheatham is a member-owned farm supply cooperative. You can learn more about us on our website, yourfarmerscoop.com, in addition to our Facebook and Instagram pages. Hello and welcome back to a grazing podcast for Robertson Cheatham Farmers Co-op. We have a very special guest today. He is a former University of Tennessee linebacker who was an anchor in the middle of Tennessee's defenses from the years 1985 through 1987, and he is still eighth in program history with 353 career tackles and fourth in program history with 254 solo tackles. And maybe most importantly of all, he's my former high school football coach, Mr. Kelly Ziegler. Hello, coach. Hey, Clint, man. How are you doing? Good, man? good. What do you think about that, that little intro there? Was it, that... it, it was good. I figure I don't have to do anything else. I'm about, I'm about done. That's man. pretty much I, it I don't now, think I can get any better than that. I copy and pasted that off of uh, Go Vols 24-7, I think. So I didn't – the 353 career tackles, I, is that pretty pretty spot on there? I think that's, I think that's accurate. Clint. Okay. Yeah, yeah. The last I, I saw or somebody told me, I think I was number seven or eight there, and, yeah, number four in primary tackles. Excellent. Excellent. Well, Coach, I appreciate you taking the time to, to do this and come on here. Um, we have known each other for, for roughly 25 years. That's kind of what I calculated. I was first introduced to you as the fun-loving Coach Kelly – in seven and eight year old Dixie youth baseball. And then later is the more intense, thick necked Coach Ziegler <laughs> in high school football. And uh, you've known me from the time I was a little boy until now. Um, but I would like for you to, to return the favor. I don't know a lot about Kelly Ziegler prior to 1997. So could you could you take the audience on a journey? Well, let me take the uh, audience on a little Clint Grubbs journey first okay. for, for those who don't know. So that first baseball practice, I was supposed to coach, but I was in Austin, Texas, seeing, um, seeing a friend of mine, so I missed it. And when I came back, all I remember is hearing two things. One, there was this big red-headed boy who could hit home runs, who could hit the ball over the fence. That was Mr. Clint Grubbs. And then my wife, Regina, she came back and said, there was, there was some guy who kept asking about um, her old man and <laughs> wanted to know where her old man was. And again, that was, that, was, that was your dad, Murray, who has become a longtime friend of mine. So, But y'all had never met prior to, to that point. We had, we had never met prior to that. And, um, you know, it, it's interesting. As your kids grow up, you'll find that your social life, the more they get into – because we hadn't been in Robertson County very long. And in your social life of essentially revolves around your kids and your kids' activities and the parents, you know, hang out with the parents of of, of the kids. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, we made a lot of really, really good good friends there, your mom and dad uh, mm -hmm. being too included in there. But, but yeah, for those who don't know, Clint, Clint was a big red-headed boy who could <laughs> – we practiced down at Wataga, and they yep. had that, that little field down there, and they said, they said that, that boy can hit the ball over the fence. <laughs> Guilty as charged. But, you know, I uh, – I took my kids to that the playground. It was on a weekend at, at Wataga. because you know Zach and I, we both and Hannah, we both went to, all went to school mm -hmm. there. 
And that place has changed so much. The field, it's not even back there anymore, I don't you, think. You know, Clint, I hadn't been back there for years, obviously, since my kids have, have grown up and mm-hmm. gone away from Watauga. So I, I don't even know what's back they, there they, anymore. They had added onto the building, but the, that field, it's not even back there anymore. Kind of sad, you know. It is. Kids need a place to play. Yes, they do. Yeah, they, of course, they expanded the playground equipment and all that. But it's just not the same place when, yeah. when you were coaching and yeah. Zach and I were playing. Um, but, yeah, no, that's – that's a good way to get started out and get yeah. us get us warmed up here. So, segue in, into back to you, Miami, Florida. Mm-hmm. You're originally from Miami. Yes. What was a um, what was Miami like for a young Kelly Ziegler back in his heyday? You know, when you're you're young and, and a kid, you know, you don't know what's going on in the world around you. You just know what's what's there. So. You know, I was the kid playing in the streets, and I had an older brother and would hang out with his friends, and I'd get roughed up a lot. Um, you know, you play sports. I played baseball baseball and football, um, wrestled, and, uh, you know, tried to stay out of trouble as much as I could, um, which sometimes wasn't, uh, wasn't a successful endeavor. Um, and... Um, you know, and then when you get when I got into like junior high school and high school, you know, there was a lot going on in the world down in Miami. There was the, you know, the the Colombian drug cartels and and it was the murder capital of the United States. And then there was a Mariel boat lift and with all the Cubans coming in um, when Castro, you know, freed his jail. So, you know, those formidable years, there was there was a lot going on. It was it was a pretty rough place, Clint. Now was this late 70s early 80s late 70s early 80s okay. yes yes and 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 there was there was a lot you know if you go back to and watch the movie scarface now I wasn't involved in any any of the scarface <laughs> going on but you know when they showed the tent cities underneath the interstates mm-hmm. i remember driving around and you see the tent cities and and so there was there was a lot of a lot of chaos a lot of bad stuff this one area we used to hang out like after our football games um there was a big like shootout a big drug murder there like eight or nine people so that stuff was happening all the time you know and fast forward when it came time to you know recruiting and doing other things you know i i Never been accused of being too smart, but I knew Miami was a place I didn't need to be. Mm-hmm. So, so that kind of propelled me to look other places when I had an opportunity to go to school. I didn't realize so late seventies, early, which it makes sense with everything going on in Cuba and the cartels and whatnot. But Miami, that was the, the murder capital of the world at one point. Or the, I know the murder capital the country, of, of, of the United States. Yeah, there were there were. You know, daily, and 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 some of them were were you know the mass shootings, the mm-hmm. the, the 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 drug people. Obviously, there was there was a lot. If you go on, there's a um, it's a really good it's a, a, a ESPN um, what is it thirty for thirty, mm-hmm. and there's one it's called Pen Kings, and it's about two wrestlers from my high school. And one, a guy named Alex DeCubis, he went on to work for the Escobar drug trade, and the other guy. I believe his name, um, Scott or Kevin Peterson, he went to work for the uh, DEA. And it's how their worlds collided in what they do. So they were best friends and wrestling buddies. They both won state championships in wrestling, but how their worlds. It, look, look it up sometime. It, it, it's a really interesting story. And both of, the, both of those guys were at my high school. Went to high school. One got involved in the Pablo Escobar <laughs> industry. The other one. DEA, yeah, he went to West Point, wrestled at West Point, and went in, went on to um, uh, was a DEA. That is a big contrast be- big, between big those contrast. two guys. And their, and their worlds did eventually collide. I can imagine so. Yeah, absolutely. So, 
you grew up in a, a rough city down there during that time mm-hmm. period. Was sports for you? Because, you know, as a young man, and we see it now nowadays, uh, a young man growing up um, in a certain environment, it can, it can have a big influence on them and, and steer them in the wrong kind of direction. But did, did you find some sort of escape in sports, like you just said? I, I did, Clint. I had two things. One, I had an older brother. And I don't know if you ever, if you ever. He's a Manny. It is. Yeah. yeah. I've, I've and 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 so he was uh, four years older than me, and he excelled at doing things not the right way. So <laughs> I, I was I was smart enough to know, you know, I did a lot of things wrong, but I learned from his mistakes. So where he did things and was really bad and got caught. Well, I would do things and wouldn't, and I didn't get caught. So, but I also I, I knew I didn't want to steer and go necessarily in that direction. So, you know, I knew there were a couple choices for me, and fortunately, I, I happened to be blessed with some athletic ability, with some, um, you know, with some things. So, football was my way. So, when I was in when I was in tenth grade, I knew that hey, if I was going to do something different, if I was going to get out, then I was going to do it through playing football. Mm. So tenth grade, uh, that'd been your sophomore year. Did you realize then, like, hey, I've, I know you, you looking back on, it, you can see it now, but then did you realize, hey, I'm, I'm blessed enough where if I dedicate myself to this, this could go somewhere. Mm-hmm. And and it it did. So, you know, a little bit different in South Florida, Miami football than than Middle Tennessee, is that one we didn't go both ways necessarily so and the other thing is is that we were at the time we were 10th 11th and 12th grade was our high school but I had about a thousand people in my class Mm. so it was a very big school and and 10th graders play JV so you didn't play varsity football until you were 11th and 12th grade well the the first game I got moved up to varsity football and the second game I started and and so at that time to be able to do that as a sophomore in Florida, I think I had a couple sacks. I think we played Miami Jackson, and and at that point I was like, well, maybe maybe I am pretty good at this. <laughs> now your your coaches, back, was that Paul Palmetto High Palmetto School? Palmetto High School. Okay, mm-hmm. all right. I tried to do as much homework you on you as I could before. You did, you did well. Now your coaches back then. I mean, did they? Obviously, a coach's job is to encourage, but did they, you know, pull you aside and say, "Hey, you've you've got something special here"? Um, I don't remember any specific conversations, um, but I was really fortunate where I, I had a couple really good coaches. A, a guy came over from another school, a guy named Sam Miller, and he was like the Yoda of, and, and he was he was our defensive coordinator. He'd been a head coach. He'd actually worked with my mom at, at a school that she taught at. Um, and, and Coach Miller was was very good at um, uh, at at encouraging, at at motivating, and so I learned a lot from him. And then my junior year, we had a guy named Al Palowitz. You know, and you go back and you think about the people who had influences in your life. Mm-hmm. Um, and Coach Palowitz was an All American University of Miami, and so. I never really knew technique. So, you know, Coach Miller got me going and, and got me, you know, jacked up and got me got me playing hard. And then Coach Palowitz taught me actually like how to use my hands and how to do things technique-wise that I never knew how to how to how to do before. That's a, a valuable skill for a young man to learn playing the sport because you can be you can have the um 
the I think y'all used to call it, you know, flip the switch. Maybe that was Coach Johnson. You know, oh, you, Coach Johnson, he did it. He get his fingers going. He <laughs> yeah, loved, he he would loved do the to motion. flip the switch. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, you know, it, to have the ability to to play aggressive, but also be smart in your technique and be disciplined in it. Um, that's a very valuable skill set to learn. It, it it's a lot, especially you know, in going back to even like recruiting. One of the things that was very helpful to me is that when there's a game in Metro Dade County, you know, Miami Dade County, there are on both teams there are many recruitable players out there. Mm-hmm. So I think I got noticed early because coaches were coming to watch other guys, mm-hmm. and they were like, "Hey, who's that kid at Palmetto?" So I think that really helped me. But back to your question and to your point is, you know, if you if you have a misstep and you're playing against some really good athletes, you're you're not going to make the play because so so that's where technique or you know playing under people's pads, using your hands, that's where the the, the higher the competition gets, the more technique you have to learn and play. So. Being specifically geographically in Miami, you're going up against just athletes. Yes, every every week. Let's say if you would have been playing in, I don't know, rural Arkansas, would you have been able to develop the same skill sets? You think, Clint? That is a great question, and and I don't know because you know you are you are challenged you know you have to have other people to challenge you to get better mm-hmm. and I think that's in anything and that's that's a great question that nobody's ever asked me before you know and I don't know if 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 I would have developed as much and I know I wouldn't have been seen mm-hmm. the way that I was seen in, in, in Miami oh yeah that's interesting because obviously recruiting nowadays completely different from from in your time but the fact that the recruiters were there, to take a look at, at this kid over here that's supposed to be a great athlete, and they just happen to be there and then mm-hmm. and then see you, that really worked in your favor, it sounds it, like. It worked in my favor, you know, not just for me, but, but for other people. Sure. But, I mean, I think that's a luxury. I think, you know, even now, you know, any college coach can go to a game in Miami, go to a game in Atlanta, go to a game in Houston, and if they can go and they can probably look at five or ten kids in one game mm-hmm. versus when you go other places, you've got to go out of your way to look at one kid. Sure. So, so it's definitely a lot, you know, economies of scale. It's yes. definitely a, a lot easier to, to do that. Yes, that, that makes sense. So by the time you're your senior year, you're playing in your senior year, offers, where did you receive offers from? Um, Clint, I received from m- most – most major colleges, um, you know, to to kind of track down. At the time, we had six – we could take six official visits. Um, well, I took an unofficial visit to University of Miami just because it was, it was there. Uh, I went to University of Florida, went to Penn State, Syracuse, Tennessee, Michigan, and Washington. So, so that was that was that was my final list. So you were all over the map. I was all over the map, and actually, University of Washington. Don James was head coach. Great guy, great coach. That was actually my favorite place that I visited. But I was I was seventeen year old kid, and I even knew that Seattle, Washington, it's a long way from Miami, mm-hmm. and and it took me a long time to get there. There was a snowstorm in Atlanta, so I was delayed. It was a, it was a long trip out there, but. I really like that place, but when it, if uh, I've always told people, if it was on this side of the Mississippi River, 
I probably would end up at University of Washington, but you know geography pretty well, and it's it's not. So that's <laughs> a, from from South Florida uh, to the Pacific Northwest. That's that's a long haul. Mm-hmm. It's it's a long haul, and then as you mentioned, recruiting is is a lot different. So you know decisions weren't made a lot of times till signing day or the week of, and the week before signing day I told my best buddy who was the guy I referred to earlier that I visited in Austin um, before I met Mm -hmm. you um, he and I were in social studies class together and I told him I was going to University of Michigan that day and um, so turned around that night I changed my mind and decided on Tennessee why why did you decide on Tennessee Clint I I cannot tell you um the story you know is that yeah I I I told my buddy in class I'm going to University of Michigan that night coach Fulmer so you got to go way back it's not the coach Fulmer you know but it's the coach Fulmer he was a third year second or third year offensive line coach so he was a young he was a position coach but he recruited South Florida and Coach Fulmer came by my house that night just for a visit, didn't tell him anything about Michigan or anything, but he just happened to be there. We had a, a, a good meeting, had developed a good relationship with him. Um, and then I walked him, I walked him outside to his car, and I still don't know why, but I said, I said, Coach, I'm coming to University of Tennessee. And my parents didn't know. And, again, me being from Miami, not being Southern, first thing he said, he said, I got to hug your neck. And I had no idea. I thought it was good, but I had, I had no idea, really. So so he did. And then so he went inside and wanted to hug on my parents who knew. Didn't know anything about it. Didn't know. So, you know, so after the fact, you know, I go in and I'm like, and my parents, I was like, well, I don't, I don't know. It just, you know, it just, it was just one of those things that felt right. Okay. Did did you ever, um, did you ever second guess yourself afterwards? It, yeah. Those those decisions, you know, are, are and, um, you, you know, you do, you know, any big decision that you make, whether you buy a house or buy a car, you know, sometimes, you know, you 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 wonder, is this the right thing? And even after I came up, you know, things things don't always go the way you envision them to go. So there's, there's tough times. And when you go through those tough times, it's like, did I, did I do the right thing? You know, there were some times where uh, Michigan, Michigan looks pretty good to me right now (laughs) or, or Manta beaches, you know, Miami, I could have just stayed there. So you, you mentioned uh, a while back Miami, obviously that would have been a a sensible choice for you being, being from Miami, but it sounded like you had the foresight to know "Eh, this may not be the, the best decision for me. Uh, Clint, if if I, I don't know if I would have made it through school, just because a lot of distractions, a lot sure. of people I knew, good people and bad people, um, it would have been nice to to be at home, to be mm-hmm. close to home. But from from the sensible and reasonable standpoint, um, I knew there would probably be more bad than good would come out mm-hmm. of it, and. Again, one of the second-guessing things, the next year, 83, my freshman year, Miami won the national championship. So, you know, it's one of those things where you do second-guess because I could have, should have, would have been on a national championship team. Yeah, yeah, it's and, and it's so easy to, to look back. I, that's my personality. I think, well, what if, what if I'd have done this different? So I can I can resonate with that. And for me, you, you're probably not this way, but the less choices I have, it seems like my life is a little bit easier. But when, you, when you're when you recruited, when you have the, the option, you can go to any major school in the country, 
if you'd like. Um, that would make it difficult for me to narrow it down. You know, if I just had to go to Austin P, that's a simple decision. Did you ever feel um, the the confusion in that, just having to make that decision? You know, I don't. I look back on it, Clint, and I don't really know. I don't remember. And, and again, I was a 17-year-old kid. Mm. And, you know, most 17-year-old kids aren't very smart. Um, things just seem to fall in place. And, and uh, you know, and, and even when I told some folks no, I mean, I had some I had some coaches yell at me. I got some letters from alumni from some certain places that told me how dumb I was for not choosing that place. But I, I don't think any of that ever necessarily really bothered me very much. Um, so, you know, from the community, I, I, I really do think like those final five or six schools, they fell in place. And then mm-hmm. I ended up getting it down to three schools, um, down to Tennessee, Syracuse, and Michigan. And at that, but it, it, it almost seemed like everything, everything fell in place. And, and I go back and, and, and I look back and I appreciate my parents so much because they didn't tell me what to do. Um, and my dad gave me some pretty incredible advice. And he said, just remember, this was the only thing that I ever really said about it. But he said, just remember where you go, where you choose to go is going to dictate who you're going to marry where you're going to live, and where you're going to work. Check, check, check. And boy, so, oh boy, was he right. Yeah, yeah he, was, <laughs> he, he, he was right on all those. But, but even the faraway places, they never said, well, Washington's pretty far or Michigan's pretty cold. Uh, you know, talk about colds. When I went up to Syracuse, that was the first time I ever saw snow. Mm. I saw the Who in concert, and I saw snow <laughs> for the first time. It was a great weekend. I loved it up there. So you're, you're, your dad, the way I understand it, he, he passed he of, of cancer. Mm-hmm. Um, now, obviously, he, he got to see you play in high school. Um, did, was he, did he ever see you play at, at Tennessee? Yes, he did. And so he came up. So our, my first game my freshman year was against uh, University of Pittsburgh. So we played Pitt. He was able to make that game. And um, it, it, it was it was good. My first time on the field, I forget if it was a kickoff or a punt, but I actually I made the tackle. Um, so yeah, so he was able to come up one time and 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 see and enjoy a game at, at Nayland Stadium. So he and your mom, I know that that and that's great advice he gave you. Obviously, I don't know if there's any true advice he could have given you, but were they encouraging while you were in high school? Like, hey, you know, was he the kind of guy that? Um, did he play football in high school? He, he his story is is very interesting. I don't really know much about. He grew up a lot in his in his teen years in an orphanage, um, but he has a very interesting story. So I don't really know much of anything about high school. But he did play sports. He ended up getting to a small school in Vermont, Middlebury College in Vermont. And I think played football and, and baseball up there. But and they were encouraging to you, you know, the entire way. Like, hey, you've. Is I think about I think about my parents. Obviously, and all parents are are, are different in personality. But uh, you know, I remember, you know, obviously, my dad being on me a lot. But hey, you've got the the tools and potential, but you don't have it mentally yet mm-hmm. to be able to apply those. Yeah. And at times, you know, that's discouraging to to hear as a young man because you you obviously want to please your parents to the best that you can. Um, but, but it sounds like for you, 
I heard you say your your parents they didn't try to steer you one way or the other. They just gave you the free reign to make this decision on your own. That's right. As far as, far as where I where I ended up going, which I look back, I didn't think about it much at the time, but I look back on it and, and how much I appreciate it because mm-hmm. there was no there was no pressure. And the only I remember at the time Syracuse wasn't very good, and my head coach in high school told me not to go to Syracuse because they're no good. He said you need to go someplace better, and Syracuse ended up turning it around um, within the next couple of years and had some really good teams. But that was that was really the the only the only thing where somebody said do go here or don't go there as far right. as the people in minor circle. Right, and people people mean well. I'm sure he meant well too, but. You know, it's it's just a little bit of extra pressure put on you, and it sounds that sounds wonderful that your parents you didn't you didn't experience that with them. They just gave you that option. Just, just gave me, and again, my my dad's advice, and then I tell other people the other best advice he gave me ever was don't ever owe anybody anything. And, <laughs> I like that too. And 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 Clint and I've lived it, and and I, I try not to be indebted to yeah. anybody, any institution, anything. And and those 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 are two. You know, that's. You know, again, what he told me about college, and then what he yeah. told me about not owing people—that's some like some Dave Ramsey before his yeah. time kind of advice. Exactly. Yeah. No, I, I those two things in itself—that's that's very that's some deep wisdom. Yeah. It is. Um, so committed to Tennessee. When did you realize? Was there ever a certain moment <clears throat> playing high school football, which I know you played with some great athletes in Miami, but when you get to an SEC Division One type school, the game speed is going to change pretty drastically. Was there ever a moment where you had to take a step back, like, "Wow, this is this is fast compared to what I'm used to"? <clears throat> you know, Clint. Surprisingly, not. Um, the the thing I could think that I had to adjust to more was was the size mm-hmm. and really learning. You gotta always keep your head on a swivel and you gotta keep your shoulder pads low. So it was it was more the the size than the speed. Uh, I remember like in my first scrimmage. So by the time we had our first scrimmage, I'd work my way up to, to to second string, and so during fall camp, twos would scrimmage the ones. And I remember there was one play, and and so I was playing the weak side linebacker, and the hole opened up huge. So I went to fill it, and the starting running back there was a guy named called himself Randall Too Hard to Handle Morris, and he was he was from California, and I went up and tackled him. And I remember after the scrimmage, we're walking, and he came up to me. He said, "Man, you should have never tackled me on that." He, you know, he was like blaming himself. He's like, "Why is this kid, you know, just got here? Why did he tackle me?" So it wasn't necessarily the speed, but it was just it was just you know the size and and again the schemes that you have to learn. You know, there's you know high school, there's one or two base defenses you play, not many coverages. But when you get there, it was it was it was the learning, and again, head on a swivel, shoulder pads low. Was it difficult? Because I think about college athletes, which you know they have resources nowadays to help them. But what you just said—the schemes and and learning the playbook—it's uh, it's some some deep, deep, different uh, plays, schemes, however you want to put it. But also trying to balance your academics with that. Was that ever difficult for you? Not really. I, I was. I think fortunate to have a pretty good football IQ. So I studied, I learned, and that that was really helpful to me. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and a lot of times what people don't understand, they'll see a college roster and they'll see these guys who are beasts and, you know, they're 6'5", 245 and can run like a deer. 
but they're not playing. Well, the reason they're playing is because they don't know what to do. Right. It has nothing to do with their physical ability. So preparation and knowing what to do really, really helped me get on the field, I think, faster than, than, than some other people. Oh, I'm well. sure. I'm sure. Isn't it bizarre, you know, when you think about those guys, these, these physical specimens, and you wonder why, why aren't they playing? And it goes back <clears throat> yep. to that. They don't quite have a handle on the playbook or what their assignments are. Yep. It, and and that's I, I think that holds true for a lot. But it, it, you know, even in high school, you know, there were some kids. You know, going back to your high school days, there were some kids who may have been better physically than some of the other kids. But if they didn't know what was going on, mm-hmm. or if they decided not to play the scheme that we were playing, um, or if they had a bad attitude, then they weren't going to play. Right. And and I and I and I think it's hard. You know, especially in college athletics you look well why isn't that guy was the top recruit why isn't he playing and a lot of times because he hasn't learned I forget which running back it was but Tennessee recruited like this past year he was a freshman one of the top running backs in the country but they kept saying he's not going to get on the field until he learns our pass schemes and how to pass block Mm -hmm. he might be the best running back out there but if he can't if if he doesn't understand the system, then he's not going. He's not going to play. Your physical gifts can only get you so far. Exactly. In other words, and then this up here has e- to kick in. Exactly. So when you got from Miami to Tennessee, do you recall what the the biggest cultural shock for you was? <clears throat> you know, a lot of it. Believe it or not, Knoxville seemed so small, and so I, I felt like I was I was just out in the country and you know now you go about that you know that's obviously not true but that was that was a big cultural shock it just being small again when you you know being on your own and having to get yourself up for class you know those are things that everybody everybody goes through uh, but in and to me and, and not necessarily cultural but the the time change and it getting dark at four thirty-five o'clock because down in Miami, that doesn't, you know, the days are more, you know, you don't have the longer days in the summer being, being more southern, and it doesn't get dark that early. So some of those days when it was cloudy and cold, you know, it was more, it was more environmental mm. from that standpoint. But that, that, that kind of messed with me at first. I'm sure. Um, and, I'm sure. And, and then I tell this to people, and, and hopefully it'll be funny and it doesn't offend anybody, but one of the weirdest things to me was, was my black teammates talking with southern accents. <laughs> Because I'd never, you know, there's a guy Phil Stewart, still a really good buddy of mine. He's from from the Tri Cities, and and just and just hearing hearing you know African Americans talking with Southern accent, nothing I experienced down in South Florida, and that was you know that was just that was just different to me. Because South Florida, I'm, and and you have a particular accent that I've always noticed, and it's that that South Florida Miami accent. Um, is is it across the board that way down there? <laughs> Well, down there, you know, a lot of my friends were Jamaicans. They were mm. Haitian, uh, so there were a lot of accents, but but they weren't talking with Southern accents, you know. So so that was just that was just kind of a funny cultural thing right. to me. And and a lot of these guys, you know, are are still still some some of my best friends. And of course, when you couple that with you know your experience with what Coach Coach Fomer said to you about hugging your neck, and then mm-hmm. you did an interview about it. Some years back, it had something to do with UT, and I think you said uh, 
Coach Majors, he called you an acorn head. Mm-hmm. And that kind of threw you off. You didn't know what an acorn head was. I, well, and, and too, his accent, I couldn't, you know, he, because Coach Majors, he'd come in, <laughs> and he'd, he'd come in with that stuff. And, and, and you know, I, was, I think I was standing in line in a, in a drill, and I must have repeatedly messed something up. And I said, I said, I looked around. I said, "What? What did he call me? What did he say?" And so I finally figured it out, and I tried not to be an acorn head anymore. <laughs> so from '84 to '87, you had a, a, an illustrious career with Tennessee. Your your plans after that? Did you? Did I know you had some injuries <clears throat> that, that affected you? Was you had a shoulder or a knee? Had an ankle, an ankle, and a shoulder. Did that affect? plans future plans with with trying to get to the nfl it did it did um you know especially with my shoulder and things i think were different back then than they are today you know i dislocated my shoulder against alabama my senior year and never came out and you know i think it was out of joint for about two plays and i was finally in the huddle and i was messing around and it popped back in and and you just played because mm-hmm. that's what you were there. And part of me, I was worried that they can figure out that maybe somebody else can do it as well as I'm doing it. So I never wanted to come out. Mm-hmm. The next week we played Georgia Tech, and I was tucking in my jersey back behind my pants. We were playing in Knoxville, and it popped out a joint while I was doing that. And there was a guy named Keith DeLong who was my backup, and Keith ended up having a great career at Tennessee as well. And I said, KD, come here, man. I said, I said, man, my, my shoulder, I said, you might be playing a lot tonight. And I played every snap. Uh, that was just what you did. You know, now guys are opting out. They're, they're thinking about the NFL. You know, I was thinking about, I made a commitment to play at University of Tennessee mm-hmm. on one end. So I was being very righteous. And then I was being selfish on the other. And it's like, I'm here. I, I don't want them to figure out maybe somebody else can do it better than me, you know. So, so I played. And I wore it down so much. By the time the season ended, you know, I couldn't reach my arm out. I couldn't. I couldn't steer my my car. And at that point, it was affecting my everyday life. So I ended up having surgery. Didn't play in the bowl game, and um, you know that hurt my stock a lot. But it, it also hurt my desire because my shoulder. You know, thirty whatever many years later, I mean, I still can't lift my arm above my head in certain motions. So that really hurt my desire to play. And at that point, I didn't care about it as much as I used to. Mm. It ended up becoming a blessing because it got me in the, you know, I was, I was going through physical therapy right. a lot. So it ended up getting me, getting me to where I am right now. So, so at the time, and I can look back and say, you know, it, it cut a potential career for me, but it was really a blessing to where it got me. Isn't it interesting how things things always seem to work out the way they're supposed to? I'm sure that was a part of it. You were discouraged at the time, but look what that, that right. led to. And part of it was medical. I mean, I, I couldn't play, and, but part of it was me just being stubborn and – you know, and I, I met and talked with some teams and had, you know, had some opportunities along the way, but I wasn't necessarily being coveted the way I was before the injury. Mm-hmm. So part of it was just stubbornness and part of it was, just, again, just the desire. It, it, it hurt and it hurt to do everyday things. So I, I didn't I didn't necessarily want to play anymore. So a lot of it's on me 
But then the next couple of years, I'd be watching NFL games, and there were guys I knew or guys I played against that I knew I was better than. Mm. You know, so that was that was the hardest part. Clint was was seeing that and and being like, you know, but a lot of it again, some of it was medical, but a lot of it was on me. Sure, sure. And you know, I was thinking about that uh, this morning, just just preparing for this. Um, Vinny Testaverde, of course, he played it. You played against him in the Sugar Bowl in Miami. Was that '84? It was the '80, the end of the '85 season. It was the '86 Sugar Bowl. Okay, so he went on to have a, a long NFL career, and I, I vaguely remember him playing for the Jets. I think it was in the, the '90s, sometime as a kid watching him. And as I was reading more about him, I didn't realize he played until 2007. I had. I had no idea. Which was my senior year of high school. Wow. Yeah, that's a that's a I think yeah. he was full I can't remember because how he, he ended up being a more of a perennial backup, didn't he? Yes. I mean, he was a backup for a long time, which is not a bad job, NFL backup. Right. Backup. Right. Yeah, that's his like he played for the the Panthers in two thousand seven. Their starting quarterback got hurt. He went in and did pretty well, won him some games. But I was thinking God, that is a long time. And then I thought about time. you, and I, that was one of my questions. Was it? Was there ever a, a real competitive part? You saw these guys on TV, and, and you think, I'm better than they are. Yeah. Did it give you the itch, you know, just, just temporarily, like, ah, I wish I could go back and, and do it differently? Yeah, it, it, it did, and that, and that was something I kind of wish I would have done differently or I wish I would have, hey, that year I just would have – settled on it and done what I did and then try to make a comeback the following year. Mm -hmm. But by that point, then I was committed to school, you know, getting a master's degree. I was committed to my wife, you know, we, Regina and I were getting married. Uh, so a lot of things like that. And, and there's, there's so many unknowns, you know, there's not, not a lot of guarantees um, in the NFL. Mm. So at, at that point I was looking more at, okay, what's, what's this life really going to look like down the road? Now, when did, now when when you and Regina met in Knoxville, what year was that for you? That would have been that was that was a couple weeks after the Sugar Bowl. So that would have been going. That would have been. So I was a sophomore. That was going into my junior year. Okay. So with her being a native of of Springfield, Tennessee, and y'all met, and obviously after, after Dayton, you pretty much knew you know she, she was going to be your wife. Was there, she told me she was going to be my wife. She told you that. <laughs> <laughs> so was there ever a point in time where you were making plans, you know, after your did, – did you think you would be back in Miami? <clears throat> no, I never wanted to go back to mm. Miami. I, I knew that I did not want to raise a family there. So I, I can live about anywhere, Clint, and, you know, she always – you know, she's Robertson County girl. She wanted to be close to her mom and dad, and I didn't, ha I didn't have any problem with it. You know, we – we lived in Jackson, Tennessee for a while, and then when opportunities came up um, for us to be in Robertson County, we're in Middle Tennessee, then I went ahead and, and took those. Now, you chose a career in, in physical therapy, obviously. So after your playing career was done at Tennessee and you knew you weren't going to go to the NFL, you, you stuck with physical therapy, and y'all's first destination was, was Jackson, Tennessee, like you said. And I remember you telling me one time – where y'all, I don't know where your house you were in, but I don't know if it had like central heat and air. And in the wintertime, the kids were little and you'd have to go in and build a fire in the mm -hmm. wood stove to warm up the house. Right, because Zach and Hannah were both born in Jackson. Mm. So we rented a little farmhouse. You would have loved it, Clint. I mean, it was out on about 75 acres, and, and but it was in Medina, Tennessee. 
and there was there were horses, there was fields, there was cattle. I mean, you I mean you could you could still live there, and and but it was just it was just an old farmhouse did not have central heat and air. So there was one time where we went to see Tennessee was playing Ole Miss. And, you know, it was later in the year when we came back. You know, it was temperature outside. was probably in the 20s, got back at night. And it was probably in the 50s in the house. So it was one of those where you leave the car on, you leave the heat, you leave the, you know, Zach and Hannah were young, you leave the heat running. And then we had a wood stove and had the blower on it. So I went in, loaded up the wood <laughs> stove, put the blower on. And, you know, the one room that that was in, you know, would be like 90 degrees, but you had to get it that hot right. where you could get the rest. So, yeah, so they probably stayed in the car for 20 or 30 minutes till we could till we could do that. You that, know, those that, are some good, humbling times. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. And just thinking about coming from South Florida where the temperature rarely gets below, I don't know, in the 60s, I would. 60s was sweater weather, man. Yeah, we were. It was, 60s was cold. It, and going from that to having a family. In, in rural West Tennessee, having to build fires, you know, to warm up the, the house for the kids. That's an interesting, it's an interesting perspective to experience Clint, that. I, I learned how to cut wood, chop wood, build fires, you know, nothing growing up. I never thought I was going to, it wasn't, it wasn't a skill set <laughs> I ever, I ever thought I needed. Uh, but you know, it was, it, it was good. You know, you look back, those were hard times. I wasn't making a lot of money. I had two young kids, uh, but those were, those were fun. Those were fun times. Isn't it special? And I, you know, I, I think it seems like everybody, every young couple at the time, especially those who have children, have stories like that where they went through hard times that created adversity. And, you know, eventually, Lord willing, things always work out and times do get better. But being able to look back on that, if you wouldn't have had that, it wouldn't have probably built some of the character that you have now. Right. And, and same with some of the injuries and some of the other things. You know, adversity can do two things. It can tear you apart or can, it can bring you together. Mm-hmm. And, you know, fortunately, you know, it's, it brought us together. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, that's where, that's where having a good partner, having a good team. Because, uh, you know, you look back on even some of the games and some of the things that you've done. You know, there was in practice, there was adversity. Some, and it's how do, you, how do you handle adversity, mm-hmm. I think, is one of the best lessons that sports can teach you. Mm-hmm. Oh, and, and like you just said, what, what team you have around you, it can make the situation much better or it can make it much, much mm-hmm. worse. Exactly. And, uh, you know, when you when – you, take that information and apply it to a family, you know, having marrying well and making good decisions about that. That's a very, very important decision to make. And I go back to what you said, your dad told you, you know, about, uh, you know, where you're going to go. That's, that's going to dictate who you marry and the family you raise. And it where just seemed, live. yeah, everything. It, it worked out wonderfully for you. It did. Um, so, and I, I, you answered my question. I forgot that, that Regina, she, she's a Springfield native. So my question was, how did you end up in Robertson County? But that, Obviously, is the answer to that question. She wanted to come back here, and I'm assuming you, your time you spent here, you liked it too. Um, but you stuck with physical therapy, and whenever y'all made it to to Springfield, obviously that was your career. But you wanted to try your hand at coaching as well. Was but you started out coaching at Springfield, is that I right? I did, yes. Okay, and that was a really interesting story. How that all happened. So I was working in the clinic, and this was before we even started Star Physical Therapy. I was working working for the, the, the group we were before, and we were in a little house off of 431. It, I think it's where Home Health and Hospice office is now. And one day, unannounced, um, 
Coach Randy Thomas, mm-hmm. who a lot of people know about, um, and Dickie Stewart, who was the principal. They came by, and they just wanted to talk to me. And they said, they said, Do you, would you be interested in coaching? I never thought about it mm-hmm. before. So it was during spring practice. And this is this is a story that that I'll never forget. So I was like, okay, I'll go out, I'll go out and see what it's all about. And so it was a cold day, may have been raining, and they had the indoor, you know, they've got the indoor place where we used to do mm-hmm. like the liftathons. Mm-hmm. You, you you've been out there, and they had the I remember they had the wrestling mats down. They were in full pads, and I got there towards the end, and they were doing a drill, and there was one guy running the ball, and there were four guys on there and so they had to go tackle the one guy and the guy he goes and he he runs and he jukes makes the guy miss runs through another tackle then outruns the other people and I was like crap I think I can coach him and it ended up it was a guy named Tremaine Turner and Tremaine ended up going and playing at Ole Miss so he was a great football player but when I saw him I was like yeah I I think I can coach that kid because he was pretty good and obviously you know the coach, you know, good players make coaches look a whole lot better than bad players do. So I ended up deciding to do it. And, you know, Coach Williams was the offense coordinator on that team. And then a year or two later, he ended up taking the head coaching job at Greenbrier. And I'd never thought about any of this stuff. And because I think you probably would have been kindergarten, first grade at the time. Because I think Zach may have been in kindergarten. And Coach Williams said, hey, you want to come over, come over and coach at Greenbrier? And at the time, we were living down Smiley Hollow Road. And I thought, well, that's pretty close to home. So I ended up going over with him and started coaching at Greenbrier, which I think was in 98. So but before uh, Coach, coach Thomas approached <laughs> you, you never thought about coaching. What on your radar? Well, well, I thought about coaching college football. And I, I really think I would have – been a pretty good college football coach but you look back on the life and again this is the time where you start thinking about family and you think about other things so my position coach at Tennessee my last three years was a guy named Dick Bumpus great guy great coach was all-american at University of Arkansas I probably learned more about football and life from him you know he's one of those guys I look back on my life and he was one of the most influential people great coach but the like the five years prior to him coming to Tennessee, he was like at four different colleges. And he finally, you know, he latched on to Tennessee for a while. Then he ended up going to a couple of different places. And he was T- TCU's defensive coordinator and he for about 10 or 12 years. And he retired, you know, when they had those really good defensive teams. And he retired about three or four years ago. But I didn't necessarily want my family to live the life of, you know, it's a nomadic mm-hmm. job. And you may be the best position coach assistant coach but if the head coach gets fired you're gone you gotta go look for another job so I I really didn't want that to be the life for my family especially the time because you had you said Zach was in kindergarten and Hannah's a couple years or a year she a year how many she's she's a year okay so young children like that you're thinking I don't want to have to uproot them from what they're they're used to exactly and 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 that's the life of a college football coach or if you're good you know you start off at at a small school 
and then you work your way up. So the only way, you know, you don't start off being, you know, defense coordinator at Notre Dame. Mm-hmm. You know, you have to, you know, you have to go through the the ringer, and it takes time, and it takes a lot of moves. And I just didn't think, for me personally, it's obviously a good life for a lot of people, mm-hmm. but for me, that necessarily wasn't the life I wanted. I wanted my family sure. to have. Sure, that makes sense. So, but I never thought about. Coaching high, high school football, no, in, 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 until they walked in the door. So how many years did you coach at Springfield before? I was there one year. Okay. And we we had about 17 kids, but about 15 of them were pretty good. And uh, we made it to the state quarterfinals that year. So That's um, right. That's right. And, Co- now, and Coach Williams, he – they won a state championship while he was there at some point. Didn't they, they won. I think they won in '93 okay. yeah, when he was when, when he was offensive coordinator. You know, it's funny. I go back and look at that, and they were running the heck out of the wing tee as well. You know, it was it was it was good. I actually, I, I, went, I went to that game. What was? And I, I vaguely remember Coach Thomas, and you know, he uh, a very likable kind of wild man. You know, from from what I understand, and then going to Coach Williams, who's more of a a stoic, reserved personality. Well, you know, what was that like? You know, they were obviously we were we were on the same staff together, so you know, I I got to know. But yeah, Coach William, I mean, Coach Thomas, you know, picture like uh, your dad just being a little a little gruffer, a little rougher, but you know, a very similar personality. Right. And there were some things I saw at practice, and I saw. Um, you know, in in some meetings there, that it's like I don't I don't know if this if this would really fly with a lot of people. <laughs> it, great experience, so love yeah. love Randy Thomas. Um, yeah, but but Coach Williams, you know, is a, a, a lot more, you know, toe the line, a lot more mm-hmm. doing doing things a certain way, doing things the right way. But what I appreciate about Coach Williams, even though I didn't have a lot of coaching experience, you know, again, he never told me how to coach or he never tried to tell me what to do so we had um at least for me personally I had a lot of freedom to coach as I wanted Mm -hmm. to coach which I I really do appreciate you didn't have anybody micromanaging you exactly and that 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 means a whole lot exactly so the one year at Springfield and then you transitioned to Greenbrier and uh you know history has Springfield typically has more athletes than Greenbrier that's just the way it is um, was it difficult getting the Greenbrier, and then the you know the genetic pool was kind of limited as far as abil- um, ability? Yeah, the the one thing I noticed that first year it, with Greenbrier though is the kids they they were tough, and you know sitting here at the co-op, you know I'll tell you in the early days most of those kids were still cutting tobacco, mm-hmm. most of those kids were still working the farm, and you don't have that anymore. And, and so you can tell even from when I first started coaching to when I ended coaching, there's a big difference in, in the kids. So they were they were tough kids. They would go hit anything. So I really enjoyed coaching the Greenbrier kids. Yeah, and I mean, nobody ran real fast. Nobody jumped real high. But those kids, they tried really hard, and they were they were tough. That when you said tobacco, there is I'm, I don't know if you've ever heard this story or not. There was a um, a, a particular player. I, I don't want to say his name, but um, he was a senior when I was a freshman, I believe. But there, there was always the story of where Greenbrier they had won a, a big game. I don't remember who it may have been Lipscomb or something. I don't know. Um, but the next morning uh, we're supposed to be cutting tobacco over at the Doris's, I believe. 
and he showed up to cut the bag the next morning with his uh, his his mm-hmm. game pants still on with the with the pads mm-hmm. in. So he went out and and had a good night, and then came in ready ready to work the next day. And uh, that's kind of what I think about what you said, just a mental toughness. A mental uh, toughness. And we had one kid, one practice, and I, it may have been a Monday. I don't know. He may have been out cutting tobacco all, all weekend. But he came, and again, I'm from Miami. I, I, I did. I went up. I cut tobacco and hung tobacco once, and that was that was enough for me. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm tough, but I'm not that tough. But this kid, and he came, and his, and his hands and forearms were like brown, oranges, and I'm like, what, what's, what's going on? And it was ended up tobacco, and he ended up getting really sick and got tobacco poisoning. Mm-hmm. Uh, but those were those were the kind of kids that would, that in the early days, that would come and show up, show up to practice. And you gravitated towards that. Yeah, I love, I love the tough kids. You know, that was, in fact, I'm, this one kid particular. I remember there were some times where, you know, if if we needed somebody, whether they had the ball or not, just go hit that kid. Mm-hmm. You know. Those were some of the kids that I would call in. Okay, you see number seventy-eight. There. I just want you to go punish him. And 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 we had we had some of those kids early on who would do that. Is it strange now? Because I'm I'm sure there's still some kids like that. But the game itself has has changed so much. You were talking about when you injured your shoulder, how you forced yourself to keep playing. Where where nowadays, for example, uh, uh, Tennessee, they had a receiver. He opted out of the Orange Bowl game to to prepare for NFL, and I think about that, and I I understand it from from both sides. Uh, it, it you're making an investment in yourself, but at the same time, it's like there's this loyalty kind of thing that doesn't it doesn't feel. I can't imagine it would feel great. Is that difficult for you to see, or do you? Yes, I I understand why they're doing it, and and it makes sense from it, but it annoys the crap out of me. Mm-hmm. Uh, there, as you said, there's a commitment. There's a loyalty. You know, it's it's your team. It's your teammates. Uh, and and so yeah, I I do not like the opting out thing. And mm-hmm. if you've heard some of the stuff like Nick Saban say about kids who are still there and not there, uh, I'm I'm right along I'm mm-hmm. right along those lines. You made a commitment. Finish it out if you're physically capable. Right. You know, obviously Hendon Hooker. You know, torn ACL, kid's not going to play. Mm-hmm. But if you just opt out to opt out, I, I, I don't like that because I feel like if you make a commitment to your teammates, to your team, then you need to finish your sure, commitment. Sure, sure. And, and then also, you know, I, I think about high school football and the fact that looking back on it, I'm very, I'm very thankful that I was able to experience two-a-days. That's to me. That was kind of like a um, so a rite of passage. Yes, yeah, a rite yes. of passage. Now you know, over time, you know, my dad he played at Good Pasture in the seventies when the school was new, and he said, you know, two days they wouldn't even give you water until after practice. So uh, you know, things evolved where obviously we had plenty of water breaks, that kind of thing for safety. But they don't even do two days anymore. I don't believe. I I don't think so. And and there's some rules for the good. Mm-hmm. And when you said that about water, I'll, I'll take you back to my high school. So, you know, this was Miami, Florida, hot and humid, and we would be practicing out there, and there was a ceramic water fountain on the side of the school. So our, our practice field was, was on the side of school, and it was, it was right outside where the, where the gym was, and we would have water breaks early on, and we our offense coordinator, a guy named Gene Gibson, Coach Gibson, mean, mean, mean. <laughs> And we would line up, and this would be like halfway during practice, and he would keep the water fountain turned on. And and so when it was your turn, he'd go one, two, three, next. 
So he would, so you would get down and you would suck up as much water as you could on his three count, and then when it was next, then you got out of line, and the next person came on. One, two, three, next. <clears throat> you know, but you look back, nobody had heat stroke. Nobody, right. You know, I, so we were probably more fortunate than anything else. But that's that's how that's how times have changed. Yeah, I know your dad. Probably they didn't. Yeah, they didn't get water. You know, Coach Williams, Coach Soros, when those guys played, water it it wasn't a thing. So a lot of the practices, um, best practices that we're doing are, are much better, are much safer for the kids. Right. But that's that's how much it's changed. Sure, sure. And it's, you know, <laughs> even I, I think about also, um, and I'm not, I don't keep up with it really that. I just learned this year that college players now are getting paid, is NIL money? I don't know much about it. Yeah, and and I don't I don't know much about it either, Clint. I don't think it's officially through the school, mm. but they set up um, some side businesses that that will help attract kids. And they say, hey, you you will do this, and if you come here, then we will pay you two million dollars or mm. whatever. And there's there's kids making that kind of that kind of money. So it's not officially run through the school. But it's very known that if you come here, this is what we'll do for you. It's so bizarre. It's so bizarre. And I can no, obviously no, – Nothing could go wrong with no, that. No, but no, Give 18, 19-year-old kids that kind of money. Well, and just thinking about that and just the fact that I can imagine the potential strife that that could create in a locker room. Correct. You're getting it and I'm not. Right. I mean, human beings are, are jealous creatures by yep. nature. And that's going to be a – I just can I can imagine that not being a great thing, but it's just so bizarre how the game has evolved just in the past five to ten I, years. I, I don't think the NIL stuff they're going to have to change some of the rules. I don't think that's sustainable. And then you know you look at the transfer portal, and we were talking about um, you know loyalty and and making a commitment. You know, there's some people who are on their fourth or fifth college. Because of the transfer portal. Okay, so that was uh, my next question I had. There are no restrictions now. You can just transfer, transfer. If you're not playing or you don't like it. Correct. You okay. can, I think there are certain times that you can get in the portal and there are certain times that you can sign and, and commit. But for the most part, yeah, if, if you're not happy someplace or something's not going the way you want it, then you can go. Um, the, the one kid I was referring to, um, I think it's uh, – JT Daniels, mm-hmm. and yeah. he started off at USC. He was quarterback and ended up, played, got beat out, went to Georgia, then got hurt, got beat out. Then he ended up at West Virginia and played at this year at West Virginia, and now I think he's transferred someplace else. So, you know, that's a kid in four years, essentially four schools, and I might be missing one. We're used to, if you want to transfer, you had to sit out a year. The way I understood, if if for most through NCAA, yeah, you had to sit out one year. But if you went like SEC school to SEC school, there there would be a two year unless you would get a waiver. So you know, and that that kept obviously kids from going within within conference, and it, and it was a, it was a lot harder. You know, to me, I think hey, you should have one, allow one, and because sometimes you may not make a right choice mm-hmm. or. If you go to play quarterback at a certain place and the coach leaves and brings in a new system that's not suited for you, mm-hmm. that's beyond your control. So, you know, I think there can should be one mulligan and, mm-hmm. and let, let kids do that. But just just to not be happy someplace or think the grass is greener someplace else, I don't like it, Clint. Yeah, well, it, well it, it, it 
feeds into a bigger problem, it seems like we, we have in society nowadays. Of It creates this mentality of me, 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 me. When you talk about the, the potential money part of it, and then, tra- if you're like you said, if you're just not happy here, transfer. Keep on transferring mm-hmm. until you finally find your happiness, you know? Correct. That, that's, that's a wrong mentality to have, and that kind of enables it Correct. in a little and, bit. And like what we were talking about earlier, whether football or life, just when you have adversity. And, you know, if your first, if your first thing to do when you have adversity is to run, that's not good. Right. I don't think that's healthy because these kids are going to have adversity in their lives. You know, and if it's if they're married and the first time they have adversity with their spouse, they're going to run. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's not that's not a healthy message to me. It's it's not. And sadly, that's kind of the world we live in right it now. Is. And then, you know, the, these young men, it, teaching them that, giving them that kind of options. I, I'm with you. I agree with you on that. It just it seems like the loyalty part of it, because um, you gotta have you gotta practice loyalty at some point in your life, whether Lord willing, that's to your spouse or a job or you know your children, whatever. And um, you know, not giving not giving young men the ability to experience that the adversity, um, just giving them that option. Well, you can leave now. Right. You know, it's it's bizarre. It's, it's, it's I'm, I'm Clint. I'm right there. I'm right there. You're an old soul, man. I, I like it. So we're we're gonna change. Real change planes on this one a little right. bit, okay? Um, you brought up when uh, you were in, in Austin, Texas, uh, when when first time practicing baseball. <laughs> Dad, I guess he he um, approached Regina. <laughs> where's, where's your old man at? Which is which is funny, um, but but you can see that. Happening. Oh, of course, of course, absolutely. Um, you're you know like you said earlier. Uh, Dad, he considers you one of his closest friends, and I'm, I'm sure you feel similar. But your your first impression of him, because he's going to listen to this, what was your first impression of him when you met him? You know, he just just a good, down-to-earth guy. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, you could just tell that he was very sincere, that he wanted to know about me. And, you know, you know, you're, he's very inquisitive. You know, he's kind of he's kind of <laughs> like from that, you know, he's kind of childlike as yes. far as wanting to know about things, which is, I think is a great quality, yes. Yes. but he wants to know about the world. He wants, so he really wanted to get to know me. And, and I just thought he's, he's just a really, just a really good guy. Just really just down to earth. There's, there's no pretense about you. your dad is who he is, <laughs> which, which I appreciate that. Cause right. there's not many people in the world who, who are like that. No, no. And you nailed it. It was funny. My wife and I, we were talking about this recently about, he has this childlike wonder about him, about, you know, anything ranging from, uh, you know, the political history of Cuba yes. to to certain jet airplanes to cars. And he's to, very knowledgeable yes. about things you would not no. think he would be knowledgeable no, about. No, no, not at all, not at all. And that, that's a very attractive quality, and it sounds like that's one of the things you were attracted to him about. Yes. Um, yeah, you know, I just – I. I I just like genuine things, genuine people, and that's mm-hmm. probably the best the best I could say about him. Yes, well, he's he's very genuine, and it's it's interesting how, um, you know, as y'all became close friends, you kind of, he, I didn't realize he's a competitive guy, and I didn't quite realize to what extent. But you know, as y'all became friends and got to spend time with one another, uh, you brought out a competitive nature in him. Whether it be you know, we used to have that old. 
barbell set in the basement. <laughs> and y'all would y'all would have like weightlifting contests. <clears throat> and him is a guy that used to work out consistently, but he didn't work out. You know, I think he was always real proud of his military press. You know, his yeah, overhead military yep, press. Yep. And uh, I think y'all would stack all the weights on there and see who could get one rep or whatever. And, uh, you know, somebody who is – the term is cock strong. Yes. If you're just naturally strong. And I remember him saying, yeah, oh, oh, uh, Kelly and Remus, they referred to me. They say I'm cock strong, you know. <laughs> That's what we would. You know, cock or, or farmer strong. Yes. You know, there's, there's some farmers, some guys I know never lifted weight in their life, but they're strong. Yes. You know, they're strong. And, you know, and again, that was going back to some of the cultural things. You know, we, we had some guys when they got to Tennessee. There's a guy named Ray Robinson. He was out of Cannon County. He just retired as a state trooper. You know, Ray, great story. He, you know, Ray's probably at the time six, five, two hundred eighty-five pound freshman come in, opens up the door when he reported as a freshman, and his eight-month pregnant wife came out as a as a freshman. You know, they're still married. Um, you know, got three kids, all successful. But you know, but Ray was one of those guys. Where you could tell at Cannon County, he never lifted a weight, but he's one of the strongest guys that we had. You know, just a, just a big old farm boy. Yeah, just gen- genetics are a very strange thing. Yeah, you know, how they how they can apply themselves like that. So you know, that being dad, I know y'all would have. I didn't realize you wrestled in high school. I did. Uh, did you? Obviously, that's going to help you with with football. But was that something that you enjoyed? I did, and. And you know, going back, I did really well as a sophomore in high school, and and but back then the weight class was 185, which I wrestled at, which was 189 by the end of the year, and then it went to heavyweight, and some of these heavyweights, you know, were 280 pounds, and I knew I wasn't going to be that big, and I also knew that football was going to be the way for me to go, mm-hmm. so I, I kind of gave up. Cause we had a very successful wrestling program. I was just talking about the decubus and, the, and that mm-hmm. that 30 for 30. Uh, but I decided that you know football was going to be the way to go, sure. much to the dismay of the wrestling coach. Sure. <laughs> the reason I bring that up, you know, I remember the dad saying, you know, yeah, oh, oh, Kale and Remus, they gang up on me wrestling, but I, I could hang my hang in there with them pretty well, good. Well, and the thing I would do, sorry, Murray, I, I hate to break it to you, but like when we would lift or we'd wrestle around, I would just like do enough to subdue him. <laughs> And, and and now your dad's very scrappy. He's very he you know very very strong, very competitive guy. But it wasn't one of those things that we would you know. And we loved to mess with him, obviously. But it wasn't in one of those things we would ever do to just try to you know try to do too much right. to him. But it it was enough you know because he'd get wild sometimes. Oh yeah, absolutely. and so when he get as wild, we would just we would just get him and hold him down to uh, <laughs> en- en- enough to subdue him. They were just restraining. Just him a just bit. just restraining. No no uh, no no illegal chokeholds or anything like that. One of my favorite competitions that I remember hearing about that he would tell me about was, uh, you know, obviously you had the weightlifting, the wrestling, but y'all also had something, I know at least one time, called a nose hair pulling contest. (laughs) Oh, God. (laughs) Where y'all would see who could pull out the most nose hairs. Your your dad was very competitive at that. Did he win at that? I think so, yeah. He'd go up there and dig deep. He, He talks about that, and he said there was one particular time, I think, uh, Coach Johnson, maybe you pulled out something on Coach Johnson and the noise that he made this kind of quivered a little bit and made this noise, and he still just laughs and laughs and laughs. Well, and that goes back again to the childlike nature we're talking about, Murray, yeah. is, is that he would get, you know, he'd always say, that tickles me, Kyle, that tickles <laughs> You know, and he would just get, in his words, he'd get tickled yep. at – 
at you know at such like obscure things, obscure you things think. and simple things. But no, I I remember I remember when we did that. He would just laugh and giggle <laughs> and and talk about it. it was, well, another one of my my favorite stories. We've been going. Shoot, I know we've been going close to an hour here now, Coach. Let me let me look at this and see. Yeah, we've been going a little bit over an hour. But kind of what I would like to end on um, was one of my my favorite things. I remember him telling was, uh, of course, y'all would spend time together, and sometimes he'd take you out on the farm. And of course, we had cows, and uh, y'all were doing something. I don't know if it was necessary that he had to catch this calf and give it a shot or something, but. You y'all had a wager that I don't know how old the calf was. It may have been a month old, which you know, for people that I don't think, know, I know I think I know where you're going. It, it's a <clears throat> not many people can catch one. You know, after three or four days old, they're very very quick. There you can't you just can't hardly catch them. And y'all were out doing something, and the conversation got brought up somehow or another where you I think maybe Coach Johnson it was, may it was me and Coach Johnson. He uh, he wagered that that y'all can't y'all can't catch that calf. Ain't no way. And so he, y'all ended up trying that. Is that right? Yeah, we went out and got it. And, and and so I don't know if you remember, but some of the best times of of, of my life was, you know, especially when y'all were playing junior pro football. Remember, like, on y'all would play the game on Saturdays, mm-hmm. and then we'd go over to either your your house, my house, or Coach Estes' house, mm-hmm. and all the kids would get together and play, and we'd all the adults, we'd watch football. And we used to do the same thing when all the bowl games were on were on New Year's Day. Mm-hmm. And I think the one you're talking about was on a New Year's Day, and we were we were watching out at your place, but we were at the the farm right there, um, right there by the old egg farm. Mm-hmm. Um, and 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 your dad, he you know, he's like, hey, I got to I got to do this before we do it. And um, he's like, they're hard to catch. And I think Coach Johnson and I were like, oh, we can catch it. And he's like, I bet y'all can't catch that cat. <laughs> so we went, and I remember we ran, we sprinted, and I think we just may have scared it more, having like two of us just running <laughs> after it. And I think it kind of slowed down and cowered down a little bit. But we got it, and we jumped on it, and and I guess he ended up doing doing what he had to do. Was he pretty amazed by that? Um, I think he was. Yeah, yeah, because I he he said he's you know he you know your dad ain't no way ain't, ain't no way you can do that. Yeah, I know. And, and, I know. and we did it because it was it, it it was out there where the the pond is where we mm-hmm. we used to. Go fishing. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. You know, was did you ever think like, how does my life come to this? Going up in Miami to out here chasing this calf around with this with this guy I call my friend now. I've thought about that a lot. You know, another cow story with with your dad, and this was late one night. I think he had a he he had a sick mama. And, and so we're out there in the truck and you know how, when the truck comes, I mean, you do this every day, you know, they kind of, I guess they think they're going to be fed. Mm-hmm. And, and so a bunch of them, and I'm, your dad said, it's an old long faced mama. <laughs> and I'm like, ha. and then, and then he put the spot. I said, there she, and I look and it looked like what he said. It was like, <laughs> but you know, he could, there were, you know, 200 head of cattle out there. And he said, it's this long faced mama and he could, I'm sure you can too, but that's the kind of stuff that I was like, yeah, how did I get here? How am I with this guy who can identify this cow because it has a long face? And I think maybe, uh, wasn't there a time you had to help him maybe pull a calf one night? And I think, was it Tommy Boy, was he there or something? And I think he told Dad afterwards, like, I've Mm -hmm. never seen anything like it, you know? Yeah, no, we've been out and we've done that at night. Like I said, go go in and giving shots. You know, I didn't do it a lot, but yeah, we went out there and it's, it's pretty pretty amazing stuff what y'all do out there. 
Well, and I just I think about you being from from South Beach, going from that to this this other extreme uh, with this this character of a man that um, he's just like you said, he's a wild man. He is. Uh, it's life is bizarre, isn't it? How you get from one place to the other. It is. Yeah, never, never, never would have thunk it. <laughs> well, Coach, we've been going a little bit over our. I feel like this has been a good conversation. What do you think? It's been great. Clint. It's, it's been, been fun. It's hadn't been it? fun. Always enjoy talking with you, and you know, for you personally, just let you know how proud I am of you. You know, you've 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 done a lot. You you good family man. Got these got these kids. Another one. Another one on the way. I, I think you gonna you gonna turn the faucet off at some point. I don't know. My wife comes from a big family, and she wants. And you know, the value of having children. It's. Um, Obviously, until you have a family, you don't. But you have three three children, mm-hmm. and um, you know it, it's it's kids are just uh, they're a blessing. No matter no matter. It seems like uh, it seems like nowadays, for some reason, not in every household, but in some households, children people view their their children as, as almost a burden. You know, like right. if they're putting them out, and. Um, you know, and I can understand how someone could get to that point, obviously, because it's it's hard work, as you know, being being a dad. Um, and it goes back to commitment. What we were talking about. Yes, commit, and, it, and it's a commitment. Yes. I look at I look at Zach, my son, and the five a.m.s that he's up, and the all nights that you know. And he told me one time, he said, he said nobody nobody ever tells you about this part of being a dad. No, you know? no, and, and but. But just, you know, when I look back at coaching and it's the guys like you and Zach and, you know, Zach Kennedy, who mm-hmm. called me recently, you know, made it through West Point. Um, it's you guys who, who have turned into to good young men, to good citizens, to, um, you know, that's that made all those hours and all the coaching well worth it. That mm-hmm. hopefully somewhere along the line, you guys learned a lesson that makes you a better person. Oh, Absolutely. Absolutely, and uh, you know, coach. There's there's a lot of former players that would agree with me on this. Uh, that you know, just thank you for who you were as a coach. You were an intense guy, and I'm sure that that you still are. And I <laughs> I remember summer workouts. You know, whenever we I don't know what you're driving now, but whenever we saw that that silver <laughs> Nissan pull up in the park, there'd always be this little bit of dread. You know, we we're thinking maybe you'll be out sick today, but but no, you never were, never were. So. You um, being able to push, especially your linebackers. I was always thankful you weren't my position coach. <laughs> I was thankful to have Coach Meek and Mild, Coach Johnson. Yeah. But you've been able to push those guys um, and, and get out of them what you got out of them. It was just really amazing to watch, you know. And, um, you know, we just – for me, and I'm sure a lot of them, I'm sure they'll listen to this, we just want to thank you for being you and everything you brought to practice and games to make us better. It meant meant a whole well, lot. Well, thank you. And – and I've always said that the the players who wanted to get better, who they they I think liked me. The ones who didn't want to get better did not like me. I think some hated me, but <laughs> which is, which is fine because those those who cared and those are the ones that I'll run into, like you and like some others who will who will say nice things and say, "Man, you were tough," but I appreciate it. I learned I learned a lot, and you know, wins are great. Um, and it's great to win, and it's, it's great to. But but seeing again, seeing y'all grow up and be successful is is is, is it sounds cliche, but it's as good or better than any any win that we had. Yeah, yeah, no, I can imagine that. Is it strange seeing these kids, these little kids, just like myself, 
is adults with their own families. It's it's very weird, especially, you know, guys like like the first year when I started at Springfield, some of those kids are in their forties now. But the weird thing is, again, seeing you, seeing you today, Clint. You know, you you this big old burly guy, this big old beard, and you were you were an eight year old kid going back to Watauga, you know, hitting balls over that fence. So, so it, it is, we, it's, it's a lot weirder for you guys that I knew, right? you know, and there were some kids I knew since they were five years old, mm-hmm. you know, who, so yeah, it, it, it is, it, it's, it's good to see, but yeah, it's, it's, I it's, can it's, imagine. It's, it's pretty strange. I can, I can certainly imagine. Well, coach, is there anything we missed or anything else you want to say, or is that no, been a plan? Clint, this is this is great, and I guess my last thing, you know, we talk about your dad a lot, but you know, we're all just glad that you got a good mama. <laughs> now you want to talk about loyalty? You know, that's uh, a lot of loyalty there. A lot you know? of a lot of lo- loyalty. She she might be up for sainthood. I don't, yeah. I don't know. No, we we've said that before. She she is a saint to <laughs> yes. to, to be married to dad. You know, it's uh, is is he's a fun guy. He's a wild guy, but it takes a certain kind of person to. Uh, to put up with it, you oh, know. Yeah. Um, well, Coach, this has been great. We really appreciate you coming on. And um, be sure to tune in for next uh, next week. We've got another episode coming out. Bye-bye, everybody. Thanks for listening to the Grazing Podcast. Be sure to subscribe, leave us a review, and come pay us a visit at Robertson Sheetham Farmers Co-op. <laughs>